Jesus Encounter, part four. And I will get to the message in just a moment. I want to say something that is on my heart specifically for you here in North Attleboro, every other location, feel free to listen in on this, on this conversation. We are excited and we are 100% committed to planting a school, a Christian school in this location. And, and like Cheryl just said, children are under attack because of education. But please remember that education was the fruit of the gospel taking root right here in Massachusetts. In 1647, the Massachusetts legislature passed a bill called That Old Deluder Satan Act. Back in the old days, they came up with some weird names for laws. That Old Deluder Satan Act established pub public funds to establish public education so that our children would not be deluded by Satan. That was the Massachusetts legislature. Oh, how far we've come. Now, some of you have asked this question, and I want to address it specifically again for this location. Pastor, can I make sure that my money that I give to really big things goes toward the school? Short answer, no. Long answer, please understand the connection between education and the gospel. And all we have to do here in Massachusetts is take a 45-minute drive north from this location to Cambridge, Massachusetts, and step on Harvard University's campus. Or a 25-minute drive south of this location and step on Brown University's campus. And find that those institutions of higher learning, which were founded for the express purpose of training pastors to preach the Bible, Okay, do you know this? This is, this is history. They don't teach history in school anymore. They teach gender identity. So it's up to me to teach you history. And so these institutions of higher education, which were products of the gospel, they were birthed by the church. How many know the church has given birth to the greatest things the world has ever seen? Oh, I know we got our problems. I know we've got our faults and our failures in the past. But the church of Jesus Christ has provided more good, more literacy, more education, more prosperity to the world everywhere it's free to go. In fact, the blessing that's upon America is because of the church in America. And, we, and, and this country started those educational centers for the express purpose of the gospel. And guess what they did? They fell in love with education and they forgot the gospel. And now here we are 300 years later and realizing the results. You don't have proper education without the gospel. You don't. And so, no, you cannot designate your funds for the school. But what you can do is get a hold of the reality, the vision. Jesus said, I, did, Jesus said, I, will, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He did not say, I will build my school. So we're going to build churches, amen? And then we're going to plant schools. Starting here, I, I'm hoping that one day, I don't know, it might be a long-term 25-year vision, but we have schools at every location. But schools that are doctrinally tied, and listen to this, this is my plan, fiscally tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the inerrancy of Holy Scripture. We're going to put it in our charter. 
We're gonna, I, I plan to put it in our charter that all the money from the church goes away to the school the moment the school starts to deny any facet of this book in perpetuity. In per, are, you, are you hearing me this morning? Because it's so important. And so I really want you to understand my heart behind that. Please do not elevate education in your mind above the church. And I know that's not what you're intending. Some of you are going gonna to send... You're going to send an email to the church, and I'm never going to see it, so please don't get offended. I know you, you get, Pastor Shane is going to see it, and then he's going to deal with it. So I'm asking you, don't send an email. That's not what I meant. I wasn't, I'm not doing I don't think I'm doing that. I understand your, your intentions are good, noble, wonderful. Thank you. But I'm asking you to understand that we don't have a proper school without the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're 100% committed to all five, all five priorities. Travelers Rest, a Tennessee location, new properties for Woonsocket and La Paula Beach and the school. All five are equal in my mind. We're going to get them all done. In what order? I can't tell you. Now, here's what we're going to do as well. We're going to fast at the end of this month. Are you ready to fast and pray? It's not the, end, it's not the beginning of the year. It's kind of like almost you know three quarters of the way through the year. But it's back to school season in a couple of weeks. And so we're going to do a fast at the end of August, and we're going to have first Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're going to pray for our school so that by this time next year, we are preparing to open our doors for the school here in North Attleboro. So we want to, but we've got to fast and pray. That's the plan so far in my mind. Anything could change, but because, you know, we make plans, but God's purposes prevails, Yeah. So we're going to trust him, and we're going to believe in him for great things. And everybody who is in agreement at all locations said amen. 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 So I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about the tie-in a little bit between uh, education and the gospel. And, I, and the title of my message, if you've got your notes out, like I said again, if you've got your notes out, the title of my message is, Who Says Who I Am? Somebody say, Who Says Who I Am? Yeah. Matthew chapter 19, a Jesus encounter with an educated man, with a man who wanted education, but, but uh, really had to realize that uh, education wasn't everything, that education apart from Jesus was nothing. And so we're going to read this passage together, and then we're going to talk about this passage, and I'm excited to get to this passage with you. So would you at all locations stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Every location we stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll go through this verse by verse in, in just a moment, but we're going to read together as one church. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, somebody say behold. A man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now that is a big question. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty, some other translations say how hard it is, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, 
they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God, does anybody know this? All things are possible, amen. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, I'm just gonna let you know, that's the one verse that doesn't apply to anybody in this house, anybody at all of our locations. That's the one verse of this passage. You can just say, that's, that's only for the 12. That's only for the 12. Of course, Judas leaves and then Matthias comes and replaces him. And so the 12 sit on the thrones of Israel. But look at the next verse back to us. And everyone, is anybody included in everyone? Okay, so, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the moment that we have to gather around the scripture and hear you speak to us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts are pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and help us in this moment to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So on the surface, this passage seems to be about money, and this is the this is the scariest passage on money in the Bible. Yeah? I mean, Jesus is asked a question, how do you get to heaven? And he says, okay, uh, this is what you do. And the guy says, well, I've done that. And he says, what else is there? And he goes, okay, now sell everything and give the money to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. It's a scary verse. I don't like that idea. And if this passage is about money, and if this passage is the way to get to heaven, then... All of us are up a creek because raise your hand if you still have a possession. Yeah, every hand should be up unless you're borrowing your clothes this morning because this is a possession, these are possessions, yeah? But this passage is not about money. It's about identity because money can be an identity but so many other things can be. For this man, we're going to see, money was his identity. What's yours? What do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'll ask you the question of my eighth grade science teacher when I scribbled yellow highlighter all over the top of my desk. She said, who do you think you are? I said, I, I think I'm about to be punished. That's what I think. I don't know, that didn't sound so pretty. Who do you think you are? I want you to write this down. My identity is that which I want myself or others to consider me. And many of us, all of us, have some semblance of an identity chase in our lives. I want people to think of me as, fill in the blank. I want people to think of me as capable. I want people to think of me as a loving mom, a devoted husband. I want people to think of me as really smart, highly educated, successful, astute businessman. Maybe you've got a combination of things. And so your life, you're running in all directions to kind of 
paint a bunch of different houses in your soul that make up who you are. I'm going to paint the house of being a good husband and the house of being a good businessman and the house of being a moral upstanding citizen and the house of being a you know, board of director on this organization. I want to put all these things in front of people so that they consider me this. That's your identity chase. And everybody, whether you believe it or not, or realize it or not, you are in a chase for identity. This man came to Jesus with the chase. And the scripture says in verse 16, a behold, a man came to him. Now, Mark also tells us this story. We're in Matthew's gospel, but Mark also tells us the story. And Mark's gospel tells us that this man came running to Jesus, running. In the ancient world, men did not run. Same as today, by the way. <laughs> you ever see a man run? You're like, what's up with that guy? Ancient people didn't run because they had, you know, robes and they didn't have pants. They had, you know, you know, robes and skirts and, you know, kind of stuff like that. Not skirts, but, you know, coverings like that. So if you ran, you exposed your legs and maybe a little bit more. And people would be like, stop running, TMI. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so this guy runs up to Jesus, desperate. He's desperate. Kneels before him, Mark says. Kneels down on his knees before Jesus. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' response, this is why you need people like me, because the Bible is never cut and dry. It's never clean. It's always kind of confusing. Jesus confuses everybody with this next response. Look what he says. He said, well, why do you call me good? Why do you ask me about what is good? Mark's gospel says, why do you call me good? Jesus, uh, Mark's, Matthew's gospel says, why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And uh, so let's talk about this. Why does Jesus answer questions with questions? He always does this. You know what I'm saying? Why do you ask me about what's good? Because Jews believed that no one was good. Psalm 52, Psalm 14 say that, say as much. You can go back to Genesis chapter 5 and talk about how every intention from the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time. That's Genesis 5, 6 verse 5. And so the Jews believed that there was only one who was good, and it was God. And so this, this guy comes to Jesus and says, what, what good thing must I do? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, and that's God. And so what Jesus is doing is begging this guy to see Jesus as more than just a good teacher. And then he says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now the next question is kind of funny. Verse 18, what does he say? Which ones? <laughs> that's funny. Because... Um, I've read the Bible multiple times, and I have not found one single moment where God said, you know, you could do this one, or you could skip it. <laughs> there are 613 commandments in the Bible. There's the big 10 that Moses got on the mountain, and then there's 603 others. And God was very clear. I want to give you some passages to show you. Uh, God was very clear. You got to obey. Anybody want to guess? All of them. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 5. If you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do what? All. Now, the Hebrew word for all in this passage means all. All this commandment that I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you. Notice what is the promise? You do it all, God will what? 
bless you as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations. You shall borrow from none. Oh, that America would learn that lesson right there. And you shall rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. And Deuteronomy 28 is reinforced in verse 1. He says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do what? All the commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This guy shouldn't have asked which ones because the answer is all of them. So what's the deal? Something was missing because this guy had an identity and his identity wasn't enough. Matthew tells us he was young and rich. Young and rich. Luke tells us he was a ruler. He was important. He was influential. Not a synagogue ruler, probably more like a civic ruler. Young, rich, important. I call young, rich, important the, holy, un the unholy trinity of the American dream. Yeah? We all want it, don't we? We all want money. We all want importance. And lately, we all want youth. That's why we're nipping it, tucking it, and sucking it. <laughs> and now we're shooting it, if you know what I mean. We're doing everything we can to stay young. <laughs> Plug the hair, stretch the skin, tummy tuck it up, whatever it takes. Health, wealth, and a strong sense of self. The unholy trinity of America. If this guy was alive today, he'd be Elon Musk and Taylor Swift wrapped into one. Some weird, non-binary, gender-fluid weirdo. Rich, handsome, or beautiful, and important. I mean, this is what he had. He had it, and it's not enough. And I think there are people in this room and every room watching right now, that's you. You got it. You chased the education and you got the education. You chased the looks and you got the looks. You chased the husband and you got the husband. You married the prince and you're waking up with the frog every morning. You got the money. And now everybody around you wants a piece of it. Chase what you will, get it, and it will still not be enough. That's why this man says, which ones? In other words, the question is, I must be missing one of them because I got all that I should have, and I still don't got it. And by the way, the Jews believed, according to Scripture, that if you did obey God's rules, you were blessed. So this man is rich because, according to Jewish scripture, he was blessed because he obviously obeyed the rules. So he asks which ones, and then Jesus answers again, Jesus with the strange answers. He says, here's the ones you want us to pay attention to. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. How many commandments is that? Six. How many out of the top 10 did Jesus list? Did anybody, can we look at them? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, honor your father and mother. And then he tacks on, 
Love your neighbors yourself, which comes from Leviticus 19. So Jesus is kind of like all over the place. And one has to wonder, uh, Jesus, did you forget some? Because there's 10, not six. And love your neighbors yourself is not in the top 10. Well, here's what Jesus is doing. He's a brilliant tactician. And you never have a normal conversation with Jesus. Because he's God. So he's listing the... I don't know if you noticed this, the second half of the top 10. When Moses came down the, Mos the mountain with the 10 commandments, right? He comes down with two tablets of stone. And he's like, okay, the first, first four are about what we do with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any false idols. You shall uh, remember the Sabbath day and uh, not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and, and remember the Sabbath day. And then the second tablet of the law is how you treat each other. So here's how you can see it. The first tablet of the law is vertical. How do we relate to our God? And the second tablet of the law is horizontal. How do we relate to our fellow men and women, our family, our neighbors? This guy responds to the second half of the law that Jesus has stipulated and says in verse 20, what? All these I have kept, but what do I still lack? And the answer is in what Jesus left out of the list because he left out all the commandments that have to do with putting God first. Having a relationship with God wherein nothing becomes God except God. You have to understand that you are always in a battle, friend. You are always in a battle with who's gonna be or what's gonna be your controlling influence in life. Who's gonna have the authority? Who's gonna call your sh the shots? Who's gonna tell you where to go and what to do? How about this question? Who are you going to turn to when life falls apart for you? The bottle? The drug? The joint? The friend? The work? Or God? Everybody in the sound of my voice is dealing with that struggle on a daily basis. Who will be first? And Jesus exposes this man's heart because what he lacks is God who gave him all that he had. And it's a battle that we're always in because obeying God leads to blessing. I firmly believe that. But be careful lest the blessing you get from obeying God becomes God instead of God. Good things in your life, listen, can become God things in your life. Moms, your children are not God. They are little devils whom God <laughs> has given to you to develop patience and leadership and multitasking skills that men will never have. Guys, the job, the sport is not God. These are things that God can give you, but they cannot sustain you. Let me just lay it out for you. If you base your identity on family, family eventually dies, leaves, divides, separates, changes, and, you're, and some of you are living in nostalgia, over what the family used to be, and it's never coming back. And you're like hopeless about that. What am I, who am I now? 
Well, you're not that. Life has broken you free from that. Time to move on and find your identity somewhere else. If you put your identity in money, you can get a lot of it, but your relationships then become complicated. If you base your, if you base your identity on your job, eventually, and this is a sad truth that too many people never really realize, eventually you can't do your job the way you need to do your job. You get old, it's one of life's cruel jokes. You're asked to do this job for 50 years and then eventually you can't do the job anymore. Now some of you, you don't like your job and you're waiting for that day. You're looking forward to that day, I understand. But there's a lot of people who love their job. They make an idol out of their job. In fact, don't we do this? We make an idol out of our job. Here's how we know we make an idol out of our, out of our job. The first question we ask a new person when we meet them is, what's your name? The second question we ask is, what do you do? Your identity is tied to your occupation. If you make your identity about your looks, oh, I really feel bad for these people because those don't last very long at all. They just don't. And the reality is that every other source of identity fails. And it, would, and, it, and it even fails for those who have it because the young, rich, successful leader of his community that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 asked the question, what do I still lack. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. An encounter with Jesus will challenge my self-determined identity. An encounter with Jesus, you know that you're having one, when what you want to be is challenged. Some of you are having that right now. Right now, God is doing it. I'm so excited about that. Because you're being challenged on the very things that you were trained to chase. Mom and dad told you to get the education. They told you to get the job. They told you to get ahead in life. They told you to become the boss. They and you were trained by this system that is America. Now remember, America is not the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of this world. And it's the worst kingdom of the world, except for all the other ones. <laughs> So it's not, you know, the, the absolute worst, but you know what I'm saying? It's not the kingdom of heaven, and yet it's got a trajectory mapped out for you from birth. Walk. Oh, what a good boy or girl. Look at her walk. She's only nine months. Look at her. She's a genius. <laughs> Go to school. Pay attention. Study hard. Do your homework. Go to gymnastics. I'll drive you back and forth to gymnastics. I will be your personal 24-hour-a-day Uber service to make sure that you can put that on your application for college. I did gymnastics. Then you can go to college and make sure you apply to be in every club imaginable and then make sure you're an RA and you're a leader and you run for class president and make sure you graduate top of your class and then make sure you get the internship with the law firm and then make sure you get a law clerkship at the Supreme Court of the United States and if you're lucky, you will one day sit in that glorious black robe and tell other people what to do. That's the roadmap. Some of us checked out on that roadmap a long time ago. <laughs> We found another one because we're all chasing an identity. But when Jesus shows up, he challenges. And here's what he says. Are you sure you want that? And the answer, if we're honest, is no, actually, I'm not. But somebody told me to chase it. In verse 21, he says, okay, now, let me give you another option. Are you ready? If you want to be perfect. 
Sell what you have. Give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, allow me to bring you some calm to this passage. This is the only person that Jesus tells to do that. And everybody with a car said, phew, thank God, I get to keep my car today. <laughs> the reason why Jesus tells this man to do those things is because he is systematically deconstructing this man's self-made identity. What was he? Three things, what was he? Rich, young, important, popular, the unholy trinity of the American dream. So Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, sell. There goes his wealth. Give it to the poor. There goes his youth. Because he's going to have to start all over again, isn't he? And follow me. There goes his importance. Because the moment he hitches his wagon to Jesus of Nazareth, he's an outcast to everybody in his community. Isn't it amazing? How, how quickly Jesus shoots down all the idols of his heart. Pew, pew, pew. I love it. Never take Jesus to a carnival. He'll put you to shame. And then he says this line, which we all forget in the midst of it because we're all taken aback by the fact that we got to sell our stuff and give it to the poor. What's up with that? And follow you, I get that. But wait, stop. Lean in closer. And you will have treasure. Where? In heaven. And every one of you, I guarantee you think, I know. If I give what I have now, I'll get treasure when I die. I know. <laughs> All right. What does Jesus mean by heaven? And some of you are under the false impression that he means then. But he actually means now. And I'm going to prove it to you with a pro tip of Bible study. Are you ready? Number four, pro tip of Bible study. Take note of repeated or key phrases in the book you are studying. Now, this one is a, I, I want to let you know, I've been giving you level one Bible study tips this series, but this is a level three. Not many people know this one. It's really bringing you behind the curtain to see the wizard, okay? Take note of repeated or key phrases in the book you're studying. What book are we in today? Matthew. Do you know that Matthew is the only book in the New Testament? Oh, no, no, no. Matthew is the only book in the entire Bible that uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Luke doesn't use it. John doesn't use it. Paul doesn't use it. The only place you'll find the phrase kingdom of heaven is in the book of Matthew. Now, let me pause here for a second because some of you are overwhelmed with these Bible study tips and you're like, how am I supposed to find that out? Get yourself a study Bible. They're available in our lobbies, I believe, for sale. At cost, we don't make any money off of you getting a hold of the Bible. Um, and go to the beginning of the book in the study Bible and you will see that there will be a, state, there will be a section called key phrases or key themes. And if you read that section, it'll tell you that the Gospel of Matthew has a key phrase called the kingdom of heaven. So if we're going to understand what Jesus means when he says treasure in heaven, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and Matthew interpret himself 
and show us what Matthew means when he records Jesus saying, you will have treasure in heaven. So what does Matthew record about the kingdom of heaven elsewhere? Well, let me give you some, some verses to show you what that looks like. Let's look at Matthew 13, 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And in that parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, you know, when somebody takes the gospel and they scatter, they tell a bunch of people the gospel. And there's four kinds of soils, right? There's a soil on the path, there's a soil on the stones, there's soil on the thorns, and there's soil that's good. And, and not every soil gets the gospel, right? When do we spread the gospel? In the afterlife or in this life? This life. Oh, so the kingdom of heaven is now. Don't believe me? Let's go to another passage. Matthew 16, verse 19. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Bar Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says this, And I will build my church on this confession. Then he says in verse 16, 19, he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And Peter gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. When does that start? As soon as Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and he proclaims the first gospel message and 3,000 people enter the church, Peter took the keys and preached Jesus and opened the door and 3,000 people walked into the kingdom of heaven. And every preacher of the gospel who holds faith in Jesus Christ has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We open the doors that no man can shut in Jesus' name so that people can come out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Still don't believe me. Let's go to Matthew 18, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. Notice that Jesus does not say, whoever humbles himself like this child will be. Oh, not future tense, present tense. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not miss this. If you miss anything else, Jesus is telling you that the kingdom of heaven is now. It's here and it's now. And it's, and it's what I belong to. Oh, I'm an American, born and raised. I'm, I'm not ashamed to be an American. I'm proud to be American. I love America. And I, I, love, I love America every time I leave America because I realize how great America is. And I'm a man, and I know that because I have at least a 60-level IQ. I didn't go to Harvard, so I know how to figure this out. And I like to be a man. And I'm glad I'm a man. I'm half Italian, I'm proud of that. I belong to the family of Hatches. I married into the family of the Geysers. I'm proud of both. But ultimately, and infinitely more important than all those identities, as you sit in darkness. <laughs> Sorry, other locations, that was a glitch here is I belong to heaven. And this world is not my home. See, we gotta realize this or else we're gonna miss it. Jesus is not asking us to be poor because poor is spiritual. And he's not asking us to chase wealth because wealth will make you happy. 
Here, I want you to write down. The point is not God wants us rich or poor. The point is God wants our trust. God wants our trust now. Who we are is who he has made us to be. So that brings me to point number two. Write this down. True identity comes from what God makes us, not what we make ourselves. That that's where true identity comes from. Who God makes us is more important than what we make for ourselves. So the chase, I'm asking you to consider that maybe your chase is misguided. Maybe your goals are not actually of God. They could be, but they may not be. And, and, they, and God can use your goals and God can use your chase, but ultimately, who he wants you to be is far more important than what you want to be. And so in verse 22, the young man heard this and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, he's the epitome of the Kenny Chesney song. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. <laughs> I'm interested in that afterlife. I'm interested in fall. Yes, I will. After I'm done doing what I want to do, you don't even know if you're going to be able to do what you want to do. So verse 23, Jesus has this opportunity now to teach the disciples. He says, okay, listen, truly I say to you, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are taken aback in verse 24. They say, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, then who can be saved? Because he says, I have the needle, camel, the whole deal. And let me just, let me just absolve you of some um, faulty interpretive techniques that have been used about this passage. Some of you have been taught that there was a gate in Israel that was called the sheep gate, uh, the needle gate, I'm sorry, the needle gate. And it was very low. And so it was for sheep only and no camels. And so for a camel to go through the eye, well, he could if he got down on his all fours and he like hunched down. And first of all, when would you ever see a camel do this? That's what I want to ask you. When would you ever see a camel be like, yes, I'd like to go through that very small gate. That doesn't happen. And then some people have mistrued the idea that the Greek word for camel and needle is different than what it says. No, no, Jesus is saying it very plainly. Camel, needle, impossible. Here's what he's saying. Rich people, it's impossible for you to get into heaven if you base your identity on your riches, if you are trusting in what you can do and who you can become and what you have to make you who you are, you're going to miss the kingdom of heaven. And likewise, poor people, poor people, listen, if you think that because you're poor, you're extra spiritual, and then God loves you more, you're trusting in who you are and not who he is to make you who you are. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying categorically is, you cannot trust your good works, your doing, your living to get you into the kingdom of heaven. And so the question is, well then who can be saved? Which is exactly what the disciples ask in Matthew 19, 25. Who then can be saved? And if, if a rich man, and this is Jewish people say, well, we, we were taught that if people were rich, it was because God loved them and God blessed them for being good and obeying the law. So if they can't be saved, who can be? Are you telling me, Jesus, that, that obeying the law doesn't lead to eternal life? And Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because you can't do it. Everyone's missing the mark somewhere. That's what the Greek word for our sin really means. Harmatia means miss the mark. It's an archery term. You pull the play, you pull that arrow back, you shoot it, you miss the mark, you fall short. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone misses the mark. You miss the mark. Heaven's sake, you miss your own marks. 
You set, up, you set up goals for yourself. You miss those two. You're hopeless. I'm hopeless. I cannot trust me. What's the answer? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus can bring you into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus can get you in the door. Jesus can cleanse you of your sins. Jesus can make you a brand new man or woman. It's not your thing. It's not your doing. It's his. So that Peter is sitting there doing calculus in his mind. He's like, well, got a question, Jesus. We've left everything to follow you. Verse 27. He said, we've left everything. Now, they didn't really. And I'll prove that to you. It does say that Matt, Peter and Simon, Peter and um, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, they left their boats, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. After Jesus rises from the dead, and they're a little bit distraught, especially Peter, because he denied him three times. And, you know, when you deny somebody who's nailed to a cross and dies, and then you hear that he's alive again, awkward. So... Peter says to the disciples in John chapter 21, he says, I'm going fishing. I thought you left all your nets and boats. I guess he didn't. He kept them in his back pocket just in case. Yeah, plan B. But Peter in this moment, because Peter often speaks off the cuff, says, we've left everything that followed you. What will we have? And then Jesus makes that promise to them. Again, like I said, you don't have to worry about this verse. This isn't about you. This verse, you can ignore he says, in the new world. Now, now, notice, though, I bring it up because he says, in the new world. In the world that is to come, verse 28, I'm going to sit on a glorious throne, and you 12 are going to sit on there with me, and we're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's going to happen, but none of us are going to do it. Then he says this in verse 29, and everyone, now let's get back to everybody else who has left houses or brothers or father or sister or mother, family, anyone who has left any self-defined identity for my sake, will receive a hundredfold. Period. What's the next word? And will inherit eternal life. My friends, don't miss it. If you give up what you've got now, if you surrender your identity, if you surrender your money, if you surrender your family, if you surrender your things, if you surrender your chase to what God wants for your life, he gives you that now. Wrapped up in his glorious goodness and then he brings you home to heaven. I'm living proof that you can't outgive God. If you give your life to him, he'll take your life and make it way more than you can make it yourself. He's the God of all glory and all goodness. All you got to do is read your Bible and see that the God who took the world that was formless and void, and in six days he made it very good and the exceptional glorious creation that we enjoy today. He's the God who took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees where he was worshiping idols, and he made him a glorious father, not just of the Jews, but of the Christians too, and all nations come to God through Abraham's seed. He took David from the sheep pen, and he brought him to Goliath, and then right to the palace. He took Joseph from the pit, and put him at the right hand side of Pharaoh. He took Peter from the fisher net, and he put him on the thrones of Israel. He took people like you and me and washed us clean and made us brand new people and we are chosen and precious and dearly loved in Jesus Christ. All you gotta do is look at his record. 
to see that those whom God puts his hand on become so wonderfully blessed. The world doesn't even get it. So point number three is this. It says, when, I, when, I, when my identity is rooted in Christ, I can never lose anything he gives me. If my identity is being a, a member of the kingdom of heaven first, then it doesn't matter what happens because God's got me covered. See, at the end of the day, every other identity is like this umbrella. You're looking for covering. It's been a rainy summer season up here in Massachusetts. I think you got all of Florida's rain, honestly. And on the outside and at first sight, this umbrella looks like it could make me who I am. <laughs> but this is as useless as it gets. This is putting your hope in this passing, fading, deteriorating world. This is what it looks like. It's a fool's errand. It cannot cover you when the rains come. You can put your hope in your kids, but they can't protect your home. You can put your hope in your job, but it can't protect your kids. See, see there's one God. There's one God who has, who has the power to cover you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and he will cover you with his feathers. And he will make sure that when the storm comes, he's got you. He's got you covered. He's got you protected. I want to challenge you to do two things. Number one, save to give for the cause of Christ. That's what this whole really big thing is about, save to give. And if you're a tither already, a tither, what does that mean, Pastor? That's, that, that means that you realize that money doesn't define you. And so you bring 10% of what God gives you into the house of God. And you know that it's not giving, really. It's bringing because it's his anyway. And you'll never lose with him. I'm living proof. We got Pastor Tom Duck over here in the front row, living proof. Ever since he took the pa pastoral role at our Apollo Beach location, his, he works a, a job, really. This is his, he does this on the part-time because that's what we do with all of our location, Pastor. Ever since he took this job, his sales numbers have shot through the roof. He sells forklifts for a living. If anybody needs one, see him after this service. <laughs> he told me the other day, he said, I have sold 450 forklifts this year. The second place salesman in my business has sold 40. Do you know what that's called? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. <laughs> Save to give. Number two, stand to live. Stand to live. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You got covering. Yes. Don't, don't be ashamed to hold it high and say, I know I'm covered. All oh, the storm's coming, but I know I'm covered because God is first in my life. Well, about six weeks ago, I was preaching a message called The Problem with Pride. And some people got up and they got offended. They walked out. Some of you were very challenged to stand for Christ in the midst of a culturally decaying world. And I told you about Mehdi Chanuli. Mehdi Chanuli is the location pastor at South Coast, at our Tiverton location. And I told you that he was asked as a chef to put out a spread in the pride colors, in the LGBTQIA, LMNOP, 
ampersand, hashtag, at sign people, colors. And he said, no, I'm a Christian. I stand for Christ. And they wrote him up, and they investigated him, and they treated him like a second-class citizen. And so he said, okay, that's fine. This is America. I'll go, get, get, I'll go get a job somewhere else. And he got a job, and he was accepted in the job. And a week before, he was about to start that new job. Guess what? His old job came coming to him. And they said, Mehdi, what do we got to do to keep you? You know why? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so Mehdi called me up. He said, Pastor, what do I do? And I said, here's what you do. You take every moment that you can and you tell him, I am not going to do any pride stuff. I am not going to create any pride stuff. I'm not going to be involved in pride stuff. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't want anything to do with it. And then they said, okay, how does more money sound? And, 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 and they said, and how about we take that supervisor that was giving you grief about this away from you? Will that do? And, and he said, well, that'll help, yeah. And so we'll take the supervisor out of that role. And then they said, how about we give you a promotion? And they gave him a promotion. How about we give you a raise? They gave him a raise. I said, Manny, one more thing. When they ask you on Saturday, when they call you and they say, what can we do? He said, I want 5,000 more. He said, okay, I want 5,000 more. We'll give you 3,000. He said, done. He got raised. He got a promotion. He got the enemy out of the, out of the door. Why? Because he who dwells under the shadow of the Almighty. Hallelujah. I'm covered. And some of you, oh, I know, I know, I've mentioned tithing, and you're ready to argue with me, and you're ready to send us an email, and I want to show you, oh, I'm done arguing with you. I feel bad for you, because you're never going to see this in your life. You're never going to see it. And other people are going to run farther than you and go further than you and never look back. You know why? Because they know you can't outgive God. You can't outtrust the Savior. And the one who formed you has got you in the palm of his hands and he'll never let you go. So, who says who you are? If it's not him, it's all for naught.